Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Kansas City-based jazz percussionist, vibraphonist, and band leader Mike Dillon. He is back living in Kansas City, and he talked about his latest 2020 CD, Rosewood. This release signifies transition and transformation in his life, written and recorded during a period of profound change. Mike lived in New Orleans for 14 years and recently relocated to Kansas City. Over the years, he has been a vital part of many bands and outfits and a key side man to artists like Ricky Lee Jones, Les Claypool, and Ani DeFranco. He's a prolific cat, and he's got great tales to tell. Get to know him. Mike, thanks for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz, man. I appreciate it. Heck yeah, thanks for reaching out. I just got to tell you up front, we have a very defined bias here at Neon Jazz for the vibes. It's one of our favorites, so... Just letting you know going into it. Very good. <laughs> Man, I love Rosewood. It's, <laughs> it's great to see you back out there. I, 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 just, I, just, I love the way you orchestrate your, your jazz sound. It's just an eclectic, fresh mix of, of sound and sonic beauty, and, and Rosewood is just another compilation in that evolution for you. Talk to me a little bit about, from an artistic standpoint, what you were going for with this release. It was definitely a continuation of the Function and Broke concept that I did in 2014. And before that, the um, my first solo record where I played mostly all the instruments on both of those. And, and it was like orchestrating all the different percussion instruments I've been collecting over the years. So that's sort of the starting point. It really just started like, well, I'm here in Kansas City. Just call Chad up and see if he's got some time. And he did. We just started recording. That I would say that was the spark of the... Um, I talked about it a little bit in the press release, but I guess I'd been writing some songs. I was up here hanging out, and songs were popping out of, my, out of the universe into my hands, into my brain and heart, and we started recording them. And it was like, all right, this is fun. It took a, probably a year and a half to record it, and that's been nice, being able to record more and just recording for recording's sake instead of like, all right, we got a tour coming up. Let's go do everything and get it done. And we'll get it to our label and release it. And, you know, just to, like, that's fine too. I love that. But Rosewood, we didn't work on it constantly, but it was just like little spurts here and there. So it was a nice evolution in, this, in terms of uh, time as well. Like, Oh, I'm back in New Orleans. I wrote a few songs there. Like, was the first track I wrote when I was in New Orleans. You know, and that was inspired by having a gig with James Singleton later that night. I wanted to play something new. And even though he didn't play on the record, it was inspired by him. And a couple other songs were inspired by different things that happened in New Orleans. And then, then there was other things that were just more solemn, that's reflective and processing life as we all do being in your, in your 50s and waking up and going wow 20 years has passed since my 30s and here we are and what a strange time to be alive on the planet well and and i guess that's that's the baton i'll run off with i think it's interesting yeah. talking to your musician there's been this pause with everything is that kind of the silver lining of this period of current or of covid19 on the planet where you've had more time to focus on just purely being a musician and artist and recording at your pace how you want to and then getting this out when you want to that record we finished it 
sometime the mis- mixing in the Madison part. Yeah, last it, right very end of last year, and I got to Kevin. And the big question with this record was like, wow, well, here's COVID, and it doesn't look like we're going to be touring anytime soon to sell the record. Do you want to put it out, Kevin? I think people need to hear new music right now. Cause, and that was a, the beginning of quarantine. Um, you know, we had the artwork and everything ready. And I, I fully expected Royal Potato to say, you know what, you're, we should put it off until we can start touring. I'm not going to do any releases. And he and I both just had this feeling like, no, let's go for it. Um, so we, we, we got it out, you know, and then, and since that time, that's exactly what I did. Just like with Rosewood, I've been going in the studio once a, once a week with Chad, somehow doing live streams has, um, I've been like, well, people are supporting me through my live streams. They're up and down as far as the monetary thing. But I'm like, you know what? Chad doesn't have any work, and it's not like, you know, he can do a live stream to put his studio. So um, it, it's been a win-win for me and for him. We're able to work on this record. The new stuff I'm working on once a week. And then, like, you're just sitting around playing. You're not spending time traveling, going to air- airports at 6 in the morning. Uh, you're not spending 10 hours in a van and then unloading sound checking, grabbing something real quick, then playing the gig, then packing up the van, then going to sleep at 3 in the morning, then waking up at 8 to do it all over again. You know, it has been, that's been the silver lining, just to focus on the music. I've been practicing tabla two to three hours a day and taking a Skype tabla lesson with my teacher every other week, which I've been with for 20 years. So all kinds of artistic progress has happened. And uh, truthfully, I think I was I was ready for a break. I've just been road dogging it for so long that at first it was it was for me. I was like, okay, cool, I'm down with this. I don't know how we're going to survive, but somehow we are. And luckily, right now we're all, a lot of people are surviving. But I know times are getting hard now. They're they're t- I don't know what's going to happen with unemployment insurance and all that with the government. So I think everyone's starting to get a little tense about that. It's on unemployment, some of my friends and myself. But uh, I don't know. You know, somehow, as far as making music, I think a true musician or true artist just keeps figuring out a way to do it. I, you know, I guess that's the other side of it. For me, it's always been awful for 30 years. I've been gigging since I started hitting the road in 89, 90. You know, you never know where the money's going to come from. And it's month to month sometimes day-to-day. There are definitely periods of day-to-day not knowing where food was going to come the next day. Yeah, so I think those of us that have been in the gig economy our entire lives are sort of used to, like, curveballs coming along. Definitely nothing like a global pandemic. Um, yeah. But, yeah. You know, it's, well, it's, it's weird. You know, it's, it's not like it's it, it, you know, I, what I keep equating it to is I keep waiting for David Lynch to be walking down the middle of the street with a bullhorn and just yell cut because it's just Lynchian. It's totally strange. It's surreal. We're not quite sure what the exact plot is, when it's going to end. There's so much ambiguity that goes into it. But I think the thing that I've always thought about, and I know it's simple on the surface, but it's actually multidimensional and it's this. I've always admired the fact that jazz musicians are always thrown into extreme situations. You have to create something beautiful, 
and you never are going to hear it again. And that's almost like what's going on on the planet right now. We're in a very weird bubble of COVID-19, and you guys are almost the artists that can mimic and capture and regurgitate this in probably a positive way. Yeah, um, like the concept for the record I'm doing with Chad, I'm doing one that's very acoustic. I'm going to keep it all to me, to myself, and then sort of like Rosewood, but with vocals here and there or spoken word, whatever. But then this other record, I have 18 tracks recorded, and it's getting my friends that I've met from all over the country. Whenever I need something, I'll text one of them, and I've had like four or five drummers send me tracks. I had my buddy who played with Dr. John and the Neville Brothers send me guitar tracks. You know, he's also Paul Notes music director. My other friend from the Ricky Lee Jones band that I play with has sent me tracks. So, you know, it's like this new way of making records. So it's sort of like, all right, here we go, adapting again, exactly like what you were saying. So I don't know. I'm I'm excited musically. I know uh, the few live gigs we've done just outside on people's porches. Like we played one. I've done things with Arnie and Brian Hicks here in Kansas City. And, you know, when you're out there on the porch playing – and people walk by, and everyone's like, "Oh!" Like the first time we did, everyone was like, "Live music! Wow!" You know, and it was it was really fun to play because that is another thing completely interacting with humans and speaking. It, it definitely took a for me. It, I felt like I was rusty, you know, because I haven't ever gone more than a week in my life without doing a gig, and then to take like a couple months off and be like, "Oh, wow! Okay, here it is in the May. We're playing together for the first time. Weird." Yeah. And, uh, it was fun. So you've relocated to Kansas City, correct? Yeah, I'm here now. I'm, okay. I was going. I've been going between here and New Orleans for the past three years. Okay. And when COVID hit, I just sort of went and got my stuff, and I was like, "All right, no point in trying to keep two houses. I'm just going to worry about keeping one house. The rent pays." What has it been like to kind of completely come back? I mean, you have very defined roots here in Kansas City. What is it like to be back here? How does it feel? This time around, showing up in Kansas City is a lot more relaxed. The first time I moved here, I was leaving Dallas, Texas to get away from drug addiction and, you know, in my mid-20s or, yeah, what was that, 26, I think. So when was that? That was, yeah, 92 I moved here. Wow, yeah, so 26. I hadn't quite turned 27. And it was a very chaotic time when I moved here, but back then, from the first time I played Kansas City, I loved it, the support of people, and I found out very quickly there was an intense little group of artists and bands, and even just the presence of William F. Burroughs living down the street in Lawrence, you know, there was a, there was a cool scene here, and the music and scene in Lawrence, so that, that's what attracted me to to move here from Texas, I was like, you know what, I'm going to Kansas City. I'm getting the hell out of here. And I don't know, it's inexplicable. There's always something about KC I just loved. And then, you know, you put down roots and you got friends. So when I came back this time, you know, it was just like, it was sort of easy just to step into. I don't know. I've toured so much. i got friends all over the country. I feel like in some ways I could move. I could move anywhere and do my thing pretty quickly. But, yeah, you know, it's just like when you travel and tour, there's little places you have soft spots in your heart, you know, like 
KC has always, it was, it was first Texas and then Kansas City became my home. So it's great just to be able to see friends that uh, helped me get through hard times back in the 90s. And who knows, maybe I can help them get through these weird times now. Um, you know, Gogo Ray, who played in Billy Goat with me, and we did a stream two nights ago. And, you know, he's never stopped playing drums, and it's it's so great to be able to play a gig with him and go, when were we in that band together? And he's like, 26 years ago. I was like, damn. And then instantly, <laughs> after about a song or two, we started connecting. You know, that, 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 the musical connections you build over the years, no matter what style of music or genre it is in, it's I would say that's just one of the biggest gifts, and you can't define it. I mean, my Earl, who played with me on Rosewood, he lives in Berlin. Same deal. We pretty much, we went to college together, and he stood at my first wedding. You know, he's my best man. He was in Billy Goat with me, and he also, when I got fucked up on heroin, he was just like the first motherfucker to tell me to, like, fuck you, I'm out of here. He didn't put up with it. He quit the band. And that was right when we had a big record deal, you know. And and then he called me up a month or two later when I moved here. And he's like, all right, you're trying to get off the shit? All right, I'll stand by you. We're good. But, you know, that's that's the kind of friends that I'm glad to say I, I've had my entire life. People that would call you out when you were screwing up and then, like, give you a phone call to try to see if they could, you know, make a difference, help get you back on the right path, you know? Yeah. And I've been watching. Have you watched Tales from the Tour Bus yet, that Mike Judge show? No, I haven't. Oh, my God. I was just, I, I've been hearing about it, so I checked it out last night. And the first one's on Johnny Paycheck, and the, the one I just watched this morning is on Jerry Lee Lewis, and you're just like, oh, wow. And there's a whole string. Of, it's just James Brown, everybody just crazy tales from their musicians i'm like really like all right because i'm such a fan of music as most of us are yeah you know and um but but anyway so back to kansas city yes i love i love this town um having chad here to make music and record it's just it's like it's awesome same deal with chad he and i've been making records together since the 90s and we know each other. If he's grumpy or if I'm grumpy or whatever, it just doesn't matter. We're going to make some music. and You know, but everything changes, you know. When you're in your 20s and your 30s, I'd say when you're in your 20s and you're playing gigs, you don't realize it like, all right, this is a time you'll never have again because all your friends and everyone your age that likes the kind of music you play, they don't have families yet. They don't have, like, careers or the man, they wake up and be ready to go to work at 8 in the morning. Everyone stays out for 2 a.m. every night at the hurricane or whatever. Davey's checking out music. and You know, so, yeah, it's different, but life changes. And that's, you know, that's what this whole record's about. They're trying to get in touch with those kind of sediments. I like doing it through instrumental music because, you know, I like talking. As you can tell right now, I'm four shots of espresso. And uh, my jaw is moving quite well this morning. But yeah. when you play instrumental music, it's it's wide open for the listener to get their own set of feelings about it, what's going on with the music. And if, if, if people, people are responding on an emotional level to this instrumental music I've been making lately, that makes me really happy. It's like, okay, 
I says I'm doing my job, you know, trying to make the vibraphone lyrical and melodic and meaningful because as cool as it is, if you just hit the note with a mallet and let it ring, it's just a piece of metal ringing, even if it's perfectly in tune. And that's beautiful itself, but making making vibraphone sing. That's why I like Milt Jackson. He he and Bobby Hutcherson, and of course Gary Burton. It's like they're they're also great. But something about Milt Jackson, just the way he made that instrument sing, and the way he could play a ballad. You know, like that's a lot of it too. It's like Milt's like willowy for me or lily some of those tunes his ballads just make you cry just hear him play a few notes and that's something i've been going for not like ooh, i'm gonna write a song that makes people cry but i just want to feel that in my music like just some depth and do like an elliot smith song it's like, like maybe milt would cover a, some big song of his day willowy for me or whatever but, you know, it's the same thing for me covering, people say, why do you do uh, Elliot Smith? I'm like, well, it's like his songs are sort of the ballads that speak to me right now. You know, or obviously Hurt, Johnny Cash's version, you hear that, you're just like bawling like a baby the first time. Yeah, Elliot's one of my favorite cats, man. I, 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 I've always loved him. So um, that was, your rendition was beautiful. Um, you know, when... What was the first show you saw that made you think, man, this is what I want to do with my life? First live show. Well, you know, I was 10 years old and Kiss was huge and led, you know, I was growing up in the 70s, being born in 65. Seeing you know, like the Jackson 5 cartoon, even like the T.G. Osmond show on TV. Just anytime I saw anything on TV, cartoons, or Don Kirshner's rock concert, Sweet Bowie, do Space Oddity, not knowing what the hell he was talking about, but it's going, oh my God, that's cool. I think that's where a lot of us got the initial bug to play music, friends of mine I've talked to. And then um, when Kiss came out, they were like our boy band, our boys to men or whatever. I don't know if that's a good description, but... Um, when, when was that band Marky Mark was in? Marky Mark and the I, I don't even know. But, like, I just remember going, when I would see bands that were big with the kids in the 90s, I was like going, well, I'm glad Kiss was our band that we were all into, you know. Of course, older yeah. kids thought Kiss, Kiss was sort of cheesy. My, my older friends, they're like, dude, I don't Sabbath. Kiss sucked. I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. But still, when you're a 10-year-old and you see Peter Chris playing drums and having a loud drum solo, you're like, oh, my God. Now, while Kiss wasn't my first concert because I did something that I got grounded that day and I didn't, didn't get to go to the concert with my friends, I say a year or two later, I went and saw Boys Cult. And, of course, Godzilla. It was like, that was my first rock concert on my own. I think the first one with my parents was actually this Elvis Presley at the Houston Livestock and Rodeo show back in the wow. early 70s. But, yeah. you know, every time I saw music, I was like, I want to be the drummer. So it was, my mom said since I was like six years old, I wanted to play drums. You know, when we do come out of COVID-19 and the world gets back to live music, what do you hope both the musician and the audience realizes from this time away from live music? Great question. I hope the audience, I hope no one ever that goes to, up to a nightclub 
and someone says, it's a $5 cover for the band tonight. I hope no one walks away anymore and says, oh, fuck that. I, music's free. You know, I hope there's more appreciation for the musicians that are out there busting their ass every night, loading in gear and driving across the country or just driving from their house to the gig. I, you know, I hope there's a general appreciation of, you know, that you usually take something like that, like something you take granted. Even people that love music are like, oh, I, I'm not going to see them tonight. We'll see them next week. I had a few friends email me that they missed our last West Coast tour. We did it at the end of February. I'm so bummed I didn't come to see you. Like, she literally had a test the next day. I was like, don't worry, blah, blah, blah. We'll see you the next time. And, you know, when's the next time going to be? 2021? Next summer? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So I, I, I think that in general it's just going to be real natural, just like anything. You know, the grass will be will be greener. People are going to be very excited. Just the few shows, whatever I've done, people are really happy to hear live music again. It's going to be great. I agree, man. So let me ask you this. Everything's going to come down to this. Everyone has a perception or a version of you, your family, your friends, your fan base, but you know who you are. You're living your life. Who do you think you are? I think I'm a um, a musician trying to become a better artist every day. You know, I mean, it's, it's if I don't practice or play or write, I'm, I get in a bad mood. You know, so that, that's just pretty much how I try to live my life now. And anything that gets in the way of that, I have to get rid of it. And sometimes um, you can be perceived as being uh, an arrogant bit of dick for thinking that way, but it's, you know, I remember someone asked Burroughs in an interview in the Kansas City Pitch, what's the artist's creed? And he's like, do what that will should be the whole of the law. I sort of quoted that Alex Crowley maxim in a paraphrase it in his way. But, you know, that that's my main thing. It's like just trying to like surround myself with people that are, that are all about the music or the art that they're doing or whatever. And, and, and then that flows into your personal life, being better people and being able to reflect on things we all need to do to get better as human beings. I mean, I think that's the other side of COVID and what's happened as of late is everyone's looking and seeing what their part is, that they can make the planet better. And it's just been too much, too much bullshit too long. My final question is this. What I've realized during this interview is there's been a lot of growth, a lot of realizations, revelations in your life. So my question is this. You have a dream tonight. You run into yourself in your early 20s or when you were starting out in music, and you can give yourself one piece of advice from the wisdom you've gotten to this point in your 50s or at 50. Tell me, what's that piece of advice you're going to give your younger self? Don't think you have all the time in the world. <laughs> Amen. Time is your most valuable commodity. Use it wisely. You're not yeah. going to get it back. You know. That's right, man. Mike, man, hey, it's been great to talk with you. Thank you. I, I really mean it. Thank you for the music. It's beautiful. Hey, I can't wait to spend it. All right, Joe. Thanks. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in New Orleans, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Mike for his time, music, and stories. 
If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, support the arts and enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.